Good morning. It is uh, good to be with you in uh, a place where we can worship together uh, as distance we may be, and it's good to have people joining us uh, from their homes online uh, so that we can worship together and to um, hear from the Word of God together. I pray this morning that as we uh, give ourselves a few moments together to just hear from the Word that you would be uh, allowed to just saturate with the Word this morning and let the Word transform us and to make us more into uh, what God has already made us. Um, that's the idea uh, behind some of what we're doing. Uh, typically, we are preaching through books of the Bible here at Summit Crossing uh, expositionally as best we can. Uh, and, and what we've done here recently is we've taken kind of a break from uh, going through books of the Bible, and we've, we've come to a, a time where we're just doing a vision series reminding us of who we are. That's what we're doing. We're, we're reminding us of who are, as, as things change around us, as things change even here at Summit, we're reminding ourselves that we're not changing, right? Um, we've gone through kind of the vision statement. We sum that up in three words, know, connect, live. That is, we, we want to be a people who are knowing the gospel, that is making disciples who know the gospel, who connect in gospel relationships, and me too, <laughs> who know the gospel, who connect in gospel relationships, and who are living out the gospel in all the world around us. And so we talked uh, last week, we made the transition to talk about our identities. So knowing the gospel, connecting gospel relationships, living out the gospel in all the world. And then our identities, we sum up in three words, uh, that we are a family of missionary servants or a family of servant missionaries. We debate over which order that should be done in. Um, and today we're coming to the idea that we are servants, that uh, God has made us into servants. And we're going to be looking at that this morning uh, as our servant identity. Now, there was a time in my family's life when we owned a dog. And notice I said that in the past tense, uh, Alora is here. I want her to hear clearly. I've said that in the past tense. I'm hoping that that remains in the past tense, though there's a lot of pressure to make that in the present tense again. Um, but there was a time when we once long ago owned a dog. The dog that we had was um, American Bulldog mostly, I think is what the way I'm supposed to say that, mostly. There was a few things mixed in there, we think, but it was an American Bulldog when it comes down to it. Um, I would go out in the backyard and, and I would throw a ball and the dog literally would look at me like, why did you just throw that? Right, and and then if I went to try to pick up the ball, the the dog would get in front of me and try to cut me off and make me go a different direction to the ball, and con the kids would play frisbee in the backyard, and the dog wouldn't chase the frisbee. The dog would chase the kids and try to direct the kids of where to go. Right, that's just the way this dog was. Now my in-laws have a dog that uh, was a Labrador, and and they would bring their dog up, and I would throw a ball, and within seconds that ball would be at my feet. Right. And I'd pick up the ball and throw it again, and within seconds, that, that would be at my feet. I mean, this dog would sprint much faster than a dog that large should sprint, and it would keep doing this literally until it was beginning to get dehydrated because it could not not chase the ball, right? It needed water, 
but it didn't care about the water. It only cared about returning the ball. So why is this? It's because it's just who they were. It, it wasn't because they had to chase the ball or because they had to direct the kids. As a matter of fact, one, of them, one, one time my dog got, got out. It got out more than once. It, it, it escaped often. Uh, and it got out, and it went farther than it had ever gone before. We went looking for the dog. We finally found the dog uh, a couple of streets away in a field with a bull backed into the corner of a fence. Literally. I'm not making this up. And this dog was nose-to-nose to this bull, and the bull was just in the corner of the fence. And when the bull would try to go around the dog this way, the dog would cut, and the bull would be back in the corner of the fence. The bull would try to go that way, and it would be back in the corner of the fence. The, the bull couldn't go anywhere because the dog had the bull cornered. Why? She was an American bulldog. There was something about her breeding that made her herd bulls and cows, and she wanted to control the direction that they went. She wanted to control the direction that our kids played in the yard, but she would not chase a ball. The Labrador got out that same day. They happened to be together with us, and when my dog had the bull cornered, the Labrador was running away. It did not want to have anything to do with the bull. Matter of fact, that's how we found my dog, is because we saw that dog running away from the bull. So, it's in the breeding. It's who they were. They could not help chasing the ball or could not help herding the bull because that's who they were. And so what we're doing right now is we're talking about our identities not as a verb. I'm not going to say this morning that you must be a servant. That is, you must serve as a verb and lay on you some heavy burden or law because that's, that's not the way this works. What I want to share with you this morning is that you have been made into a servant. It is your identity. And my hope and prayer this morning is that as we hear about and the, the servanthood that we have been made into, and as the Word of God is proclaimed over you, that the Spirit of God will accompany that preaching and will, will infuse power to become the thing you are. That servanthood would just be born afresh and anew in your heart. That's the idea. Because it's not a verb and something that we must go do. It's just who we are. So basically what I'm trying to get you to do this morning is just chase the ball. Right? Just act out of your identity who you are, what God has made you to be. So uh, w- the way we're going to do that this morning, the way we're going to uh, look at it this morning is we're going we're gonna to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Probably not the text most of you would think about going to when we're going to preach about servants. It honestly wasn't the first text I thought about going to when I thought I was going to be preaching about servants. But we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. In, in verse 4, and I'm going to read through verse 11. We'll focus in on verse 6. We're going to jump into chapter 4 a little bit. So have a Bible in front of you. Not all of it will be on the screen. But uh, chapter 2, verse 4 is where we'll begin. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient 
to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And so this morning we're talking about the fact that God has made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant. And it's what it says in chapter in in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Now, I want to key in on the word ministers here, and I don't do this often with translations, but I want you to understand that, there, that you know, we have English translators, right, that had to grapple with what word to use uh, for this Greek that's behind it. In uh, this particular incident with, with the Amer- English Standard Version, at least, they've chosen to translate this word as ministers. And it's not a bad translation. It's right. It's good. It, it means ministry, ministers. All of that is is wrapped up in this in this Greek word. But I I wish they had chosen a different word uh, to translate this in this particular instance. Because in this case, to say that we have been made sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant makes it feel as if in our culture makes it feel as if this is targeting the professional Christian, right? The person who stands on a stage and preaches, or the person who's on staff, the person who's been ordained as a minister, we say, right? And so it makes us feel like that the rest of this text in our culture makes us feel like the rest of this text, if we say that he's made us sufficient as ministers of a new gospel, of a new covenant, it makes us feel like that, okay, I'm off the hook because I'm not a minister, right? This text is for those other people who get paid to do this, so to speak. But in, in reality, the Greek word that's here is, is the same word that we translate later, or actually transliterate later, as deacon. It, it's diakonai or diakonos, depending, right? And so when we came to it in Acts chapter 6... Same word, we, we decided as English speakers to, to take that word and, and transliterate it so that into English letters so that we could pronounce it in English from diakonos to deacon, right? So that we, because it became an office of the church and we wanted that office to have a name and it's appropriate, it's right, it's deacon. But what the word means is servant, and, and where it came from in Acts chapter 6, if you remember, is, is people were being overlooked in the serving of tables. And so it became 
important that some men be set aside to free up the apostles to do other parts of the service, other parts of the ministry. They set men aside to serve the people, in particular in this case, serve the tables. And that word serve was diaconate, deacon. The, the, the word is used all over the place in Scripture, right? And sometimes our translators, depending on the context, say servant or service, and sometimes minister or ministry. And when it's talking specifically about the office of the church, they just transliterate it and make it deacon. All of that is very appropriate. Um, but in this case, the ESV has said minister, which makes us feel like it doesn't apply to us. It's really about those professional ordained people. You look in the NASB, um, in verse 6, in the NASB, it says, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. That's really what Paul's getting at, is we have been made adequate as servants of a new covenant. So I, I, I don't want to let you off the hook this morning. This isn't just for ministers in the professional sense. It's for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the community of faith. You have been made a servant of the new covenant. It's all about you here. And I want to bring yourself into this text and not just set it aside for others. You have been made into, recreated. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been regenerated and the Spirit of God now dwells in you, then you've been created anew as a servant of this new covenant. And so the question then becomes, what does it mean for us to be a servant of a new covenant? Well, first, it means it is your identity. That's why we're doing it in this identity series. It is who you are, not simply what you're supposed to do. We do acts of service because we've been made, recreated, regenerated as servants. We chase the ball because it's who we are. And so, what does it mean to be a servant of a new covenant? So for, first, I think we have to at least logically uh, acknowledge that for us to be servant of the new covenant means that we are not servants of the old covenant. That's clear, right? If we're servants, we've been made servants of the new covenant, then we are not servants of the old covenant. The old covenant that Paul's talking about here is the Mosaic covenant, the law. And, and the Mosaic covenant prescribed righteousness. The Mosaic covenant condemned to death. The Mosaic Covenant told us we must be righteous. It gave us all of the rules and regulations of what we had to do to create our own righteousness, to make ourselves right before God. And we failed. We couldn't hold up to the standard of this law. And because we couldn't hold up to the standard of this law, the Mosaic Covenant condemns us to death. It prescribes righteousness and condemns us to death. So 
before we go any further, I want us to be very clear that as servants of the new covenant, we are not servants of the old covenant. And what I mean is this, we are not standing up for ourselves new law. We are not judging one another by particular acts to try to determine if we are more righteous than others. We're not carrying out specific um, acts of goodness to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, to make ourselves right before God. We're not looking at others and trying to tell them how they ought to live by banging them with rules and regulations to try to create righteousness in them. We've served way too long in churches with that type of attitude. And our culture sees it, knows it, and calls us hypocritical. Because we put on masks. Not the masks of COVID, but we put on masks to make ourselves look righteous when we are not. That's the old covenant. It's very pharisaical. And we are not servants of that covenant. We are not here to try to preach a method of gaining righteousness. We are not here to hold one another accountable to being better than you are. That is not what we're here to do. That's what I lived under as a child, for sure, in churches. But that is not what the gospel calls us to. That is not the new covenant The old covenant prescribed righteousness, and because of it, the old covenant condemned us to death because we could not live under it. So if it means that we are not servants of the old covenant, it it also means that we are a part of something glorious. Because you see, The Mosaic Covenant, in its death and condemnation, it was glorious. Yes. The Old Covenant was glorious. Why? Because this set of law that was given to Moses pointed us to the nature and character of a glorious God. And so as we look at the law, we don't don't see something that we try to attain, we see something that shows us who God is. And because we see in it the glorious nature of God, the law is good. The law is glorious. But the law still condemns. But even in its death and condemnation, It is glorious. So much so that Moses' face, after being on the Mount Sinai and receiving the law and being in fellowship with God, receiving the law, as he would descend the mountain, his face would be veiled. Because his face still shone with the glory of God. Having been in his presence, his face would show, would shine with the glory of God. And and because of that, his face would be veiled because the people of God, the Israelites, could not look upon the fading glory of God without fear and even death. This is how glorious This old covenant was. 
It's grand. It is beautiful. It shows us the holiness of God. It shows us the wrath of God. It shows us the justice of God. And, and we love justice because God is just. But that glory, as glorious as, as it is, is a fading glory on the face of things. And once faded, the veil would be removed. The new covenant, however, we're told in this text, outshines the Mosaic covenant. It outshines the Mosaic covenant so much so that it makes the law seem as though it had no glory at all. Now, I've just told you that the law is glorious. It points to the character and nature of God, a holy God, a glorious God. It reflects His glory. It is beautiful. It was so glorious that His face was veiled so nobody would, ha would look at it, right? His law is glorious. But we're told here, Verse 7, but if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not intently look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Listen to verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory, for indeed. What had glory, that is, the old covenant, what had glory, in this case, has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it. The glory of this new covenant that we know in Christ is so much greater than the glory of the old covenant, which is glorious. It makes the old covenant look as though it has no glory at all. Everybody wants to be a part of something great, right? When I was in high school, I was in the band. Yes, I was one of those guys. I was in the band. I was in the drum line, though, which is the cool part of the band, so it's okay. But we would go every year to Walt Disney World in Florida and participate in one of the biggest band competitions in the nation. And in either 1989 or 1990, I honestly can't remember which year it was, we won that competition. We won the Spirit of Disney Award. We could say we were one of the top bands in the nation. We were, we were a good band. We were a big band. We were awesome. I'm just going to say it. Right? And I can remember when we won that competition, it was like we celebrated and we got on a bus, and we went home. But it was the next year that was cool. Because you see, once you win the Spirit of Disney Award, they don't let you compete for at least two years. But you have to come back. You're the exhibition band for the next two years. And I, I now know what they were really doing. They were just getting a lot of free parades out of us. But we came, and we were the Spirit of Disney band. And we marched in parades in every part of Disney World, right? But when they would announce you, 
and all of the other bands were there for the big competition. But when they announced us, we'd be behind the gates, behind the scenes. These were pretty cool, too, by the way. But we were behind the gates. And when they would swing those gates over, it was the big Disney voice. I don't know whose voice it was, but it was grand and marvelous Disney voice, right? And they introduced us as the Spirit of Disney Band, the Pell City Marching Band of Gold. And as a 16, 17-year-old, I felt like I was something. We were a part of something big, something grand. And all of the other bands that were there for the competition, you could see it. If you just walked around Disney World wearing a Pell City Marching Band of Gold shirt, you could see it. Other bands, this, I'm not making this up, they would point and whisper, there they are. They are awesome. We were a part of something big. And it felt good. Everybody wants to be a part of something big. And when you'd march in those parades, the crowds would come alongside, and like every corner that you would go around, the big voice would come again, right? Pell City High School Marching Band of Gold, the 1989 Spirit of Disney Band. And you, all fresh and new, you felt big, and the crowds would press in, and, and you felt like they were cheering you on. Really, having been on the other side of that now with kids in Disney World, I realized they were trying to yell at us to get out of the way because all they really wanted to do was cross the street, right? They were like, if we'd have gotten here three seconds earlier, we could have gotten across the street before this parade. But now I'm stuck here. But we felt big. Everybody wants to be a part of something grand, right? You want to be a part of something big. You are a part of something big. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you have the Spirit of Christ alive in you, then you have been made a servant of the new covenant. You have been made a part of the new covenant. That is a covenant so much grander, so much glorious than the Pell City High School Marching Band of Gold. I'm sorry, so much glorious and so much grand than the old covenant that the old covenant doesn't even look glorious anymore. That fading glory in the face of Moses that people might die if they looked at doesn't even shine anymore in the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that's what you're a part of. And so when I come this morning, I am not here to tell you, go out and serve and be a good Christian. That's just a new law. And I'm not wanting to weigh you down under law. I'm trying to tell you, you are a servant. And you're a servant not of some, some puny king in this world. You're not a servant of some boss in some small company. You are a servant of the king of kings and a part of the new covenant, the most glorious of all covenants that make them all fade in its light. You're part of something grand. You're part of something big. And so, to be a servant of the new covenant means we're a part of this greater glory. You see, whereas the Mosaic covenant prescribed righteousness, the new covenant proclaims us righteous. 
Whereas the Mosaic Covenant condemned to death, the New Covenant grants life. And we could go on and on about the comparisons, but here's the truth. This New Covenant was purchased in the blood of Jesus. And whereas we were once under the Old Covenant striving to make ourselves good, striving to be righteous and striving to reconcile ourselves to God, only finding that we could not accomplish it because that was the purpose of the law all along to teach us that we cannot measure up to the glory of God. And as we sit under that old law and reminded that we cannot measure up to the glory of God, comes, here comes along Jesus Christ who lives this perfect life, adhering to the law in all points, being righteous in and of himself by identity, takes on himself all of our sin, becomes our sin in identity, and substitutes himself under the wrath of God for our sin. Takes upon himself in his person the due penalty of our sin, dying our death in, his, in our place. So whereas we were prescribed righteousness under the old covenant, Jesus says, I am righteous under the new covenant, and I give you my righteousness. And whereas we were condemned to die under the old covenant, Jesus says, I die in your place. And in his death, he also is raised to life. And in his resurrection, he says, I give you my life. So, prescribed righteousness and condemned to death under the old, proclaimed righteous, and granted life under the new. This is the glorious covenant of which you have been made a servant. And whereas Moses' veiled glory was fading, Our glory is unveiled and is progressing from glory to glory and greater glory. And ultimately will be progressed by the power of the Spirit to that ultimate glory in the resurrection where we are made into the likeness of the glory of Christ. This is the covenant you have been made a servant of. And so my prayer is, as you are encouraged that you are a servant and that you are a part of this great new covenant, that you will be motivated by His Spirit to chase the ball. To carry out this new identity of servanthood because we've been created as servants. But it doesn't only mean that we are Servants of the New Covenant, right? If we continue reading in 2 Corinthians, and I'll go back to the version that you're using in ESV, except that somehow 
I have totally gone to the Psalms. Second Corinthians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 in the ESV. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So we're not only made a servant of the new covenant, and by being a servant of the new covenant, we are proclaiming this new covenant, that is, we are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, We are sharing with people in our day-to-day lives, not just standing on a stage preaching to people as world ministers, but as servants in day-to-day life, everywhere you go, and the people that you come in contact with at Thanksgiving and at Christmas and at work, you are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. You're sharing the truths of this new covenant, serving the covenant by making the covenant known. But listen to the next part of that verse. It's not only that we preach, we don't preach ourselves first, But we preach Christ as Lord, and we preach ourselves. Preach is gap, so you continue the word priest all the way to the end. We preach ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. So, in in this particular word, servants, it's not the same as before. It's not diakonos. This bondservant or servant is a stronger word for servant. And it really means slave. So first, we are made servants of a new covenant. And second, we are made servants in a new community. We preach ourselves as your bondservants. We are made into servants of one another. And we are called to live out our identity as servants of the new covenant by serving one another. We are one another's bondservant. I wanted to say servants of a new covenant and slaves to a new community, but Brooke wouldn't let me use the word slaves. She said it sounded too harsh. But in reality, we are one another's slaves. What does that mean? It just means that we consider each other more important than ourselves. We consider the needs of others before we consider the needs of our own self. And in our communities, This is precisely what we are called to do. We're called to put on the nature of Christ and become one another's bondservant. And I'm not saying to you that we ought to go do this or do that or serve in this way or serve in that way. Remember, I'm not giving you a new verb. That would just be a new law that crushes you. I am trying by the power of the Spirit to bring to life the servant nature of Christ in you which longs to serve one another because it's just who you are. Not because we're supposed to do it, but because it's who we are. And it's who we are because we've been given the nature of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, which is another text I could preach um, in relation to servanthood, but I'll, I'll keep it to just a few verses for reading. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, we're told, Do nothing from selfless, sorry, I did that in the first service too, do nothing from selfishness or 
empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. This is what it means to be a servant to one another, to be each other's bondservant, to preach yourself as your bondservant. So it means that you're more important than me. It means that when we have a disagreement over opinions of different things going on in the world or different ideas or whatever, it means that we can come together and have a discussion about those things and share our reasoning about why we think the way we think. And, and one of three things happens. Either you convince me that your reasoning is sound and mine is not and I gain your opinion and we walk away in agreement. Or... I convince you that my reasoning is sound and you walk away with my opinion and we are in unity. Or, yes, we agree that you've got sound reasoning and I've got sound reasoning and we're going to disagree on these particular things, but it's okay because we're in unity. Facebook makes, it, makes you feel like you can't disagree well. But you really can. In the Christian community, you are servants one to another. And one way you do that is by considering others more important than yourself. You, you do it by yeah, giving up a Saturday, right? I moved recently. And a lot of people gave up their Saturday. I'm sure doing other things would have been more fun than moving my furniture. But it was servanthood. I think some people did that with Jamie this past weekend. Um, there are lots of ways that we serve one another. One way that Jesus gave us was washing one another's feet, which is another text I'm probably supposed to preach since I'm preaching on servanthood, right? It's but we don't have anything quite like that in our culture, washing one another. We don't have that kind of culture or tradition or custom that I can marry that to. So, so I want to go extrapolate, if you will allow me, one of the things that might be intended behind this idea of washing one another's feet, because Jesus said you should wash one another's feet. And we could take that literally if we wanted to, but, but you could wash my feet today and they wouldn't be near as dirty as somebody's feet in the first century. I don't think it meets the, meets the point. I think probably what we could extrapolate from that is that we are to care for one another in the messy dirtiness of day-to-day -day life. You have dirtiness and messiness in your life. You have sin in your life. You have family members that you really don't want to talk about in your life. You might have had dinner with them this week. Or better yet, do you have things in your own life that you don't want other people to know about? Do you know in gospel community, we serve one another by engaging in the messiness and the dirtiness of your day-to-day -day life. And we wipe that dirt and filth away with the gospel together. It may be washing it with tears together, but we do that together because we can come in gospel relationships with the confidence that we're not going to be judged because we're not under the old covenant. We're under the new covenant of grace. And we walk through those things together and we love each other together and we serve one another together and we walk through those things to reconciliation and glory together. And so 
Serving one another means connecting in gospel relationships and living alongside one another so that we can walk in the daily mess of life and seek sanctification together. I've never seen Jesus more clearly in someone as I see him in those who seem to always sacrifice to serve others. You know those people, right? Seem to like they never have anything going on because you call them and ask them and they're like, yeah, I can, I can help you out with that. I can do that. I'll be there. Those are the people that I see Jesus in so clearly because they have set aside their own desires to serve others. If I continue reading in Philippians 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Jesus. Having all the glory, not only of the new covenant, but all the glory of God in him. Set it aside and became your slave. We have the spirit of Christ alive in us And because of that, we set aside our own glory to be one another's servant. This is what it means to have an identity as a servant. And when we serve others in this way, we live out our identity. That is, we live out our identity as servants. Listen to this. Displaying the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's all in the same place. So while the glory of God was fading in the face of Moses, when we serve one another and live out this identity as bondservants, we display the glorious light of Christ in an unfading glory. A glory that is going from glory to glory. And ultimately, to an eternal glory shared with our Lord. Oh my, we are a part of something big. My prayer today is that the Spirit of God has brought to life that servanthood in you. So that we can share in this glory together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the glory of Christ that we see in the gospel And we thank you that you have made that glory alive in us. We ask this morning that you would empower us to bring to life the nature and attitude of Christ by serving the new covenant and making it known and by serving one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we come to this part of our service, we uh, have the wonderful opportunity every Sunday to Observe the Lord's Supper together. Uh, there's a, a cup there in your seat that has a piece of bread under the top flap. There's two flaps, and under the second flap, there's a cup of juice. We do this each week because we understand that in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous and are being made righteous. And so we come before the supper Remembering the death of Christ, remembering his broken body, remembering his poured out blood, which is, by the way, the blood of the covenant, this new covenant.
And so I ask you this morning that as we partake of this supper, reflect on the fact that we have been brought into this covenant as servants. Reflect on the fact that, yes, we are constantly battling sin, but we are constantly receiving grace that overcomes that sin and outshines that old covenant. So as you take a moment to just pray, I ask you that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you participate with us in this supper. If you are not a believer, we ask that you not participate today, that you come find us if you have questions about this grace and this new covenant. We'll gladly walk through those things with you. But this morning as believers, take a moment and prayerfully reflect over the elements of this supper, recalling the death of Christ in the purchase of our redemption. Father, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we stand before you, recognizing that it is in his death that this forgiveness was purchased and this righteousness was given to us. So we see before us this bread representing his body and this juice representing his blood, and we are thankful to you for the good gift of your son, recognizing that in his death, you have saved us, made us new, given us righteousness, drawn us into this new covenant, and made us servants of the high king. God, as we do this this morning, we remember his death, but oh God, we long for the sanctifying work that is perpetual in our lives, making us move from glory to glory. And we long ultimately for that resurrection in the end that we might be made glorious in the likeness of Christ forever. So this supper reminds us of his death and it causes us to long for his return. And so God, we pray you would change us in the meantime and move us from glory to glory. This is body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's worship together.